welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm especially glad you're with us today because today our guest is your host. I just got back from meeting with a wonderful group of people in Colorado, really lovely people, very knowledgeable, and the things they said and the questions they asked made me realize it's really past time for us to talk here again about the process of natural death. My journey in this work of teaching about death began actually a decade ago. A decade ago, I was in the process of writing The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next. I had learned a lot in 40 years of doing afterlife research, but I'd always been learning it just from myself. I never even kept notes. It never occurred to me anybody else would care. But then, of course, my guide insisted I write that book, and it turned out a lot of people have cared. And I have continued to do this research over the past 10 years. This is such a gigantic, such a complex picture. And what delights me most is the fact that the new things I'm learning fit so perfectly with what I've spent my whole life learning. So let's you and I add a little more great information as we talk once again about the happy, joyous, beyond wonderful process of at last going home. After all, death is a universal part of life, and the level of misinformation and fear that still surrounds it in the 21st century is horrifying. Much of what we're told by those that we venerate as authorities in this world is scary, it's silly, and it's altogether wrong. The scientific community still insists that the death of our bodies is the death of our minds. We will blink out like a light, which is nonsense. And most clergymen assure us that after death we might end up in a fiery hell, in an awful purgatory, maybe sitting around a boring old throne room forevermore playing a harp, or else sleeping until we hear some final trumpet. All of that's wrong. And when the information about what actually happens at an after death is so abundant and there's no excuse really for all this depressing misinformation and plain nonsense, when all of that's true, we had better talk about what really happens. Now, we plan for our deaths before we're even born. It's part of the life planning process. All the important events of our lives are planned, including the people, you know, that we're we're going to meet and marry. All of that, it seems random, but it's really not. We planned it ahead of time. Our guides help us hit those marks. And we also plan in two or three points in in our life that we're we're about to enter that our higher consciousness can take when it's time to leave. Either we've learned all we can or for whatever reason, it's time to go home. We don't know consciously. Um, when that time is going to come, but our higher consciousness chooses it. Now, you can die at any other time, but even if the death is accidental, it's very rare for it not to be a planned exit point. What's interesting is that often after people have died, even in an accident, their loved ones will look back and notice that the the decedent, the person who just died, had spent the months before that death, wrapping up details, reconciling with people when they were estranged, finishing projects, settling debts, and in general trying to make things a little bit neater 
for those that they were leaving behind. Now, the day of your death is meant to be one of the most wonderful, beautiful days of your life, believe it or not. It's the day when you're going to be reunited with loved ones you may have thought you never were going to see again. It's the day you get to see and finally hug the guides who have helped you make the most of this lifetime. And it's the blessed, blessed day where you're finally going to get to leave this illusion and return to the joy of your true home. And that's how it will feel to you. It will feel like your true home. But for most people, death really is just that wonderful. I've lately, though, come to accept the fact that our complete cultural ignorance, and that's what it is, about what death means, how it happens, all of that nonsense we're fed by religions and science, all of that still means that far too many people are botching even their very carefully planned deaths. And we're going to talk about that today more than I ever have before. We'll be talking about some of the things that can go wrong. But first, let's talk about what actually happens in the sort of well-planned death that most of us really can look forward to enjoying. You're going to need to keep an open mind as your death approaches. If you know just in general terms that the process is going to be easy and happy and that you'll be at every moment cared for and supported by loved ones, if all of that is just what fills your mind at your death, nothing more, nothing more concrete than that, you're going to manage it just fine. You may be one of the really lucky ones who get to simply fall asleep here and wake up there, but most of us are awake during at least some part of the death process. And some of what happens during your natural death is likely to feel odd or confusing to you, so it can help if you know a little bit about what you can expect. Therefore, we're going to talk about it now briefly. You begin the process of separating from your body a day or two before your natural death. We don't know exactly when this begins or quite how it begins, and it may be variable and personal to you it happens a little differently for each of us but for many people the first sign of this separation will be what seems to be a partial recovery in fact doctors have learned to realize that when when someone seems to be suddenly getting better but they're actually terminal this is a sign within 24 hours they'll be taking the gate the first sign of this this recovery is that Sometimes people who have been in comas might wake up and see they sit up and speak normally. People with dementia who might not have been coherent for years might converse normally with those around them. Believe it or not, it's a miracle. And doctors can't explain it. It's funny to watch them try, though. From your perspective as the person who's dying, this period usually seems to be just a peaceful, calm time. Both pain and fear are usually pretty much altogether gone, even if what you have should be painful. And you really start to feel kind of matter-of-fact about your dying now. It feels okay to you. The cause of all these changes is apparently the start of the separation of your energy body, which is your mind, or what we used to call your soul, from the physical body that's about to die. It seems in particular that the first thing that happens is a separation of your awareness from your damaged brain. That's why suddenly you're normal again. This happens virtually, I think, virtually always when people are awake and they uh, uh, they start to die. If they've had a damaged brain, it doesn't matter. Their mind is free now. Also, in the hours before your death, you start to see deathbed visitors. The timing of this is also variable. There are cases reported when they start showing up you know, even days or weeks ahead, but usually it's within 24 hours or so 
of, of the actual exit point. One or two of these people that we used to think were dead, you generally will appear in the upper corners of the room. I don't know why that is, but that seems to be what happens. They look solid and normal. They're just up there in the upper corners of the room. There's mom. Oh, my goodness, there's mom. But, wow, I never saw her look as young as she looks now. And she starts talking to you in your mind, and you start talking to her in your mind. This is such an astonishing, overwhelming experience, even if you expected it, that at this point most people stop communicating with the people who are still living around the bed, and they they just communicate with the dead exclusively. What a joyous time. Sometimes it'll be a pet who will come. Could be one or two people. Could be a crowd of people. There could be a party around your bed. It's very, very specific to what everyone thinks will be best for you. On occasion, actually, even the people sitting around the bed, if they're somewhat psychic, perhaps, will will see the deathbed visitors, too. And there are cases where they will even leave their bodies and go with the person who is dying just for a bit of the trip. Um, Glimpses of Eternity by um, Raymond Moody is a a 10-year-old book, too. It's a wonderful book that talks about that. Actually dying is a gradual process. From the moment when you first see your your, your deathbed visitors, which is the, that's when the act of dying pretty much begins. From then, you know you're going to be fine. So what happens next, people say, can be a lot of fun if you're awake. You might think of your earth body as something like Matryoshka dolls, the nest of Russian dolls. The outer layer or two are, are going to be dying now. The one composed of matter, which we see, but also perhaps we think the energy aura that defended you against negative entities while you were alive. They're both going to die and be left behind. And um, so there has to be a separation because the inner the inner one or two or three bodies, we're not sure how many and everyone disagrees on that, Think of it as even just one. That energy that is leaving is inside and it has to then gather uh, in order and then leave your body. And what happens is kind of really amazing. People who have been awake during this process tell us it feels as if lots of tiny threads are breaking inside their bodies. It starts in the fingers and toes. Isn't frightening, doesn't hurt, but it's like interesting. It's You might think of it as unvelcroing your bodies have been been velcroed together and now they start to unvelcro from your physical body and all of that energy that is going to go home where you really are your awareness gathers in your chest it leaves through the chest wall or through the top of the head and it you some people can see it it rises in the air above your body it looks like a gray mist and it, but then it seems to disappear. It goes up a little bit and then disappears. The reason is, as soon as it's free of your body, the vibration, the energy of it rises rapidly. And it goes higher, it vibrates higher than people who are in bodies are able to see. What it's doing is rising and then forming into a body. Uh, which sometimes then will lie in the air parallel and looking down at, at the body that is that you've left. Sometimes you'll sit in a lotus, lotus position, but you are a solid body without any weight at all above your physical body. And you're attached to your physical body still by a kind of umbilical cord. Um, it's called the... Um, um, the, the the glowing cord, the silver cord in the Bible, and that's what we tend to call it too. It, it's visible, but just barely. And it used to be very tough, but now it's very, very fragile. 
you're hugging the people that came for you. You're, they're trying to distract you so that you'll never be able to uh, uh, even notice the people who are upset around the bed because they know you are dying now. When the silver cord breaks, and it will very soon, within minutes usually, that's the moment of death. Your silver cord has kept your physical body alive. As soon as it breaks, your physical body just stops breathing. There's no way to, to um, resuscitate it no matter what you want to do. But there you are with your deathbed visitors, solid, young, and beautiful. All of you are. And they will then try to get you as rapidly as possible to leave your, your, your body and to get out of that room. But you don't really want to leave. You're having a heck of a time. You feel People sometimes tell us, actually, that the process of leaving your body is physically very pleasurable. And, I mean, just think about it. You were lying there in a, in a boat anchor, that dying body, and suddenly you have no weight, you're free as a bird, and you're more alive than you ever can ever remember being. So you ha you're having fun. And then you notice people around your, your bed who are upset, and the last thing you want to do is leave them. But you have to leave them. One of the easiest ways to get stuck out of time and have to be rescued maybe centuries later is for you to be distracted by people around your bed. They can't see you. There's no way you could communicate with them. So there's nothing you can do for them until after you have gone home, after which time, you know, there are a lot of ways you can communicate with them then and a lot of people who will help you. So follow whatever you do. If you think of nothing else I have ever said to you when you're dying, Roberta said, go with your deathbed visitors. Get away from that bed right away. You must follow your deathbed visitors right now. And that's all you really have to be sure of doing. And you will go, it's really an effortless process. There is no tunnel, there is no light. That seems to be a rescue device when people have a near-death experience. Um, it, it sort of hoovers them through the lowest uh, negative uh, uh, aspect of the astral plane into a, a, the, the mid-levels, which are, are full of light, which is why it looks like, like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But they, that doesn't exist in a natural death. A near-death experience can become a death, but it doesn't happen. If And we're talking now about your planned death. It doesn't happen. Instead, it feels as if you and your mom and your dog from when you were eight are going, entering a kind of gray area. You think you're rising and moving, but mainly you're pretty much in the same place. The room behind you, if you look back, you'll realize it's getting vague and vapory, and then it disappears. And in front of you, the mist is clearing, and you are in the most gorgeous place you've ever been in your life. We enter at the – nearly everybody seems to enter at the lowest aspect of the summerland, and that is absolutely gorgeous. I'm, I'm going to talk about it probably um, next week because I think we're going to have to split this into two sections. But it is so – beautiful you're dazzled by it and it's full of love love is the light around you an intense white light which uh, casts no shadow and uh, it's it's just your your most people who who enter this way not not waking up there in a house but instead just entering while while they're awake most people are so overwhelmed that they tend to bring us there into a, a formal garden where there's like a bench and someone will sit with you uh, on the bench and hold your hand while you just look around because it's so amazing. As I say, we'll talk about some of just what is so amazing about it. It's the, the joy of it is endless. 
what's beautiful about this is that you're always supported by love. And then when you get there, the air is love. The light is love. Well, when we're here, we, we, we feel as if we're sort of in sort of a negative energy all the time compared to what it's like when we get home. The easiest way to think about dying, really, is to just think of your mind as a TV set. If around you in the room, there are hundreds of channels, and your mind could pick up any one of those channels if it were a TV set, right? And just uh, tune into any channel, and there, there would be a solid reality at that channel. The same is true with going home. Now, some people have asked me, why do I even need deathbed visitors? Why, why don't I know what I'm supposed to do? The answer is a simple one. You come into this lifetime with a limited mind. We leave most of our vast eternal mind behind. Um, Mikey Morgan, the, the, um, the young reporter who is a six-level being and just died recently from an, a planned lifetime here, so he could talk to us. He tells us, you sort of put your, most of your mind in a suitcase and you pack it away there so you can come here with a mind that is just stripped down for learning, just the way it's stripped to go to a spiritual, uh, a physical gym, so you strip down to a limited mind to go to a spiritual gym, which is a life on earth. When you go back, though, that's one of the things you will reunite with. But meanwhile, you are as clueless when you leave your body about what is going on as you were when you left your mother's body at birth. That is how little you know. And it's as, that, it's as surprising and astonishing as it was to you then to suddenly be out in the light. And not maybe not a great experience that made your eyes sting and all that. But that's why you need those deathbed visitors because they are there to, to, to do what the doctor did when you left your mother's body and sort of, you know, catch you out when, as you come out of the, the, the body that you're dying, that's dying, that uh, you're leaving behind, catch you and hug you and then gently convey you to the beautiful next world, which is just, just a, a channel or two above the one you're on now. The Summerland, which is the three to five, we'll talk about this too, but the, the three to five, um, levels three through five of the, the afterlife levels, um, the Summerland is where most, uh, nearly all family reunions happen. And most of them happen on level three because everybody has to be able to be there and almost everybody has advanced enough to be able to stay comfortable at level three. We can't go above the level to which our spiritual development suits us, but we, we can easily stay at level three. Um, my family has a gigantic farm. My grandfather was a Danish farmer. A, a farm beside the ocean, which is just what he would have wanted. Um, and all of the cows he loved are there. <laughs> they don't have to give milk now, but they're all there. And my the, the his children and grandchildren apparently have uh, homes uh, sort of in a circle around this gigantic farm. It doesn't matter how big um, these places are because we can go anywhere we want by mind. Travel is instantaneous. You can go from here to the end of the universe by mind in, in, in an instant, in a, you know, just a heartbeat if you had a heart. Actually, I think we do have hearts. We don't really have internal organs, but um, we, we have ways in which to comfortably maintain our body. And they generally tend to uh, use energy that we pick up from the environment. It's not energy we ingest. We don't digest food. But the, our families will come and greet us. Um, it, it's, the, it's the best homecoming you could ever imagine to go there because you suddenly realize all the people that you lost are fine. They aren't lost at all. You, you just, 
it's the most fun you can imagine having. And you've done this really a number of times before because we do live many lifetimes. Some of the people that you'll see, you'll realize, are not from this most recent lifetime. They're the great eternal friends who were there for you in other lifetimes. All so beautiful, all so wonderful. And it's amazingly Earth-like. The the, uh, English Summerland and the North American Summerland are very similar um, with the formal gardens and the beautiful buildings uh, and and, uh, intense green color, intensely colored flowers, many of them in colors that you've never seen because they're beyond the visible light spectrum. Gigantic, many people talk about the gigantic flowers as tall as we are with, with big, beautiful heads and all the vegetation. It seems to be conscious. It does sort of greet us and maybe caress us as we go past. Flowers turn their faces to you. The difference between here and there, the the English Summerland and the uh, North American Summerland, is that here there are mountains um, which are snow-covered. Basically, think of it as being in Colorado when it's intensely green, and there are the Rocky Mountains right there, and beautiful trees, no death at all there's never a leaf that falls there's never a flower that wilts so it's just as i say it's there there's so much i remember when i first was re, was doing this studying and putting together what what all of this is about i kept finding new things that were even more amazing and yet they're all they're all part of what's true this is designed by people in the sixth level which is the the the, what, what they call used to call the causal or the source level, um, but the people in the sixth level have it in bodies too. They know what you want to see there, and they create it. And we'll talk about that as well. I, I can see there's a lot where we really will have to do this over two two weeks, but that's fine. You really are in heaven, and you know you're in heaven when you when you land in the summer land. Um, it's a shock of joy. It's the it's the most beautiful thing you've ever been through, and many people are so stunned by it that they just sit down on a bench and 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 don't even talk with anyone. They just look around, taking it all in. Before you were born, you planned this perfect, beautiful, natural death to be an easy and joyous return to your genuine, eternal life. It was planned to be simple, and knowing this makes more tragic the fact that because our culture is so ignorant and fearful dying today carries many risks of which you'll need to be aware so you can better guard against them there are things that can go wrong by the time i wrote the fun of dying i, I mean i didn't want to know about any of this stuff that could go wrong i mean it's so beautiful why why should there be a you know a snake in the garden but there is By the time I wrote The Fun of Dying, I knew enough about what could go wrong to warn people there about some of the things that could go wrong. But I used to think these problems were rare. I've talked, we've talked with Carol and Mikey Morgan. We'll have them on again soon. Mikey is a sixth level being who had not been in in a body in 400 years, but he wanted to come back to be able to talk to us and teach us. He was very concerned about our learning the truth. And so he took a a, a body uh, just briefly. He died at 20 when he, I think it was 2007, he died. And uh, he's been um, teaching us ever since. He teaches us at afterlifeforums.com. There's an S on forum there. Um, if you'd like to go, you can easily find his thread there. And whenever I go back, there's pages of, of answers of questions he's answered. 
um, through his mother, and I've never seen him make a mistake. So I tend to think of him as the expert. I go to him if I have questions. But anyway, one of the questions they recently asked him on Afterlife Forums was this. They asked him uh, how many people, uh, what percentage of people who die go off track, uh, you know, at all. He said it's close to 25% of the newly dead. He said some of them are not off track for long. Some of them go off track for eons. Now, where else can you meet Mikey? I should just add this briefly. Um, He wrote a book called Flying High in Spirit, a young snowboarder's account of his ride through heaven. You can find it on Amazon. And I think it is the, the very best book about dying and what happens right after death. It's by someone who actually experienced it. Word for word, it's his book and his story. And I hear from people who just love the book. I helped him write it, which is why I would hear about it from people. But definitely do read, if you haven't read it, Flying High in Spirit, a young snowboarder's account of his ride through heaven. He does snowboard there, by, by the way. And he says he says that snowboarding there is great because the snow isn't cold and it you can – fall and you don't get hurt and he said therefore he can do all kinds of things on a snowboard he couldn't do before he died in the in the colorado mountains that's that's why he was he was a snowboarder he was going to college there but anyway he said now he's better than sean white now i'm not sure who sean white is but apparently he's one heck of a snowboarder but he is also a very advanced being he's near the level of the source And when he says 25% or close to it of the people who die go off track for a time, that is a serious problem. That was when I realized I had to start talking about it and I had to learn all the many things that can go wrong so I'd be able to share them with you. So let's talk about that now. And I have to tell you something. I've come to think of as I've studied what can go wrong. I thought it was a horrible bug. I thought we could get past it, but it may be a feature. It may be a feature because when people go off track, that's an opportunity for all of us to learn to reach out to, to them, to help them make their transition. And we can then powerfully raise our own consciousness vibrations just in giving them that help. And, of course, that's the whole point of our ever even entering Earth Lives at all. I've, taught, I've, I've actually had the experience of rescuing someone. Um, you, you can do it through the Monroe Institute, and there are others who make a specialty of rescuing people who have gone off track. And it's an amazing experience, which I should also probably talk about. Oh, my dear, this may be at least two, two meetings, but that's okay. The evidence of what actually is going on in the world, in reality. That's why I call this podcast Seek Reality, because that's what we all should be doing. And it's all, this is all part of one reality. It's not here and there. It's all here. It's all around us. The dead are right where we are, just at a higher vibration. And the evidence of what's going on is so abundant and so consistent that we can now say with certainty that everything that Christians believe about death and the afterlife is wrong. Every bit of it. There's no hell. There's no purgatory. There's the outer darkness where there could be wailing and gnashing of teeth, which Jesus talked about. But it's we are the only ones who put ourselves there. There's, there's no hell. There's no purgatory. There's no sleeping until the final trumpet. There's nothing like that. There is just this beautiful arrival home, which I, I've just begun to talk to you about. 
But alas, for Westerners, people raised in, in Christianity, the errors of the religion cast a very long shadow, especially when it comes to our dying. A, a, a number of the things that can go wrong will do so because of Christianity's false teachings. So if you're a practicing Christian or for any Western religion, if you're, if you're practicing a religion, I think it's important that you listen up and hear all the things that can go wrong and make people go off track. Because you have raised your vibration. Remember we talked about suddenly they couldn't see the mist anymore because it was, had, it had raised its vibration so rapidly. If you are distracted in any way, you can lower your vibration to the point where you won't be seeing your visitors anymore. You won't have any idea what's going on, and then you're stuck outside of time. That's a lot of what can go wrong. So let's talk about some of those things that really can go wrong. One of them is terror, religious terror, frank terror. Many hospice workers will tell us that the people who are most fearful at death are the most ardent Christians. You know, the, these church ladies, people who have had lived a wonderful life, they're afraid it still wasn't good enough. You know, they'll, they're going to go to hell. There are some versions of Christianity which actually teach that, that that's a risk no matter how good you've been. And the hospice workers say it's so ingrained in these people that it's terrible to have to, to, to try to comfort them through it. Now, what's horrible about that is that if you're really fearful, then you're, you're um, not going to go at all. I mean, if you find yourself out of your body, maybe it's better if you just stay here because I'm not in hell now. And if I actually do whatever they're telling me I should do, go with them, who knows what will happen. Having been taught to fear the normal death process also is a problem. And this is something which 100 years ago was a, was a special problem because all this news was starting to come out about deathbed visitors and all the things that can happen at death. And there were Christian ministers who taught their flocks that if you see your mom or you think you see your, you, you know, your dad or your pet or whatever, what you're seeing are demons who are masquerading as mom, dad, or the pet. Don't go with them. They will take you to hell. So these people would shrink from their deathbed visitors. And every one of them who did that would end up earthbound, stuck out of time and have to be rescued. Imagine that. Talk about, well, talk about a horror that their, that their preachers did this to them. There's a problem, too, if you're too certain about what happens after that. that. That's why I'm saying, just remember, Roberta said it was going to be fine and I should go with my deathbed visitors. That's all you need to remember. Because if you're too certain about what comes after death, there are actually thought form places to which you will detour following your death. The most commonly described ones are clouds, and which might or might not have St. Peter's Gates right there. Or a little village with a steepled church and ladies running back and forth to church socials. These are, they're, they're darkish, they're, they're repetitive, nothing happens there, they're the most boring thing you could possibly imagine. But still, you went there, you didn't go with your, the people who came to bring you home, and you didn't end up in the beautiful Summerland Gardens. You've got to be rescued. Um, <laughs> there's a variation of this which is even worse. If you believe you are evil enough to go straight to hell, you will put yourself there. There, are, There is, in fact, a hollow hell. You put yourself there, 
you think you're in the real hell, you start to scream for help. So you're going to get rescued right away. People will come and get you and you will trust them and follow them because you don't want to be in hell. But still, you don't want to have to be, have that kind of a horrible detour. There's no, no reason for it. You are not evil. Nobody goes to hell because there is no hell. So if you can get that out of your mind, you'll be much better off. One problem, too, is you might be certain that death is extinction. People who expect to experience nothing at death, and really mean that strongly, will experience nothing at death. What they do is enter a gray fog of their own creation, and they wander in it sometimes for eons. Again, they need to be rescued, but because they aren't, they, they're too ignorant to, to even know that rescuing is necessary, they wander sometimes for a very long time. Another thing that can happen is that you can be begged by loved ones not to die. Most people who are dying want to do it alone. It's the kind of thing that you want to do by yourself. And one reason is we don't want to see the horrible reactions of those who love us who think we're really dying. There was a medium visit who was visiting an old hospital and there were still a few beds left in it. There were no no people, no living people there, of course, anymore. It was being rehabbed, but as she went through the hospital, which everyone said there are some ghosts here, she found a little boy lying in his hospital bed. He was a little ghost boy. The last thing his mother had said to him was, don't go until I get back. I've got to leave now. Visiting hours are over. Don't go until I get back. Wait for me. And many, many decades later, they estimate could have been 100 years later, he was still waiting in that bed. Do not ever ask a loved one to wait for you. The kindest thing you can say to someone who is dying is, you're dying now, and it's going to be wonderful, and you can go. Please don't don't worry about us. We will be fine. Tell tell the loved ones who are dying that they, they that you're going to be fine. They can go, and then give them the space in which to do that. I think you'll find it will go much better for both you and them. Of course, if you're dying out of time, or if you're very young. Uh, there may be mourners around your bed that aren't helping you cross, but instead are very upset. Um, and if that happens, you're, you must be especially careful to get away from that bed as soon as you're out of your body. Because if, if your mother is crying, every, if, if, if people are upset and you're the first to leave in, a, in an age group or whatever, whatever it is, if you try to comfort them, you will lower your vibration and no longer be able to go with your deathbed visitors. That can cause you to get stuck in place for a very, very long time. There are ghost stories of, of because people died at home hundreds of years ago. And I, I lived in many years, for many years, I lived in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And there are a lot of ghosts in those old, 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 old houses. And in some cases, they'll go right through the wall. But they'll do the same thing over and over. A, a woman will go to the, the hearth where what used to be the hearth where she cooked, and then she'll go back through the wall where the, there used to be a door, but there's no door now. It looks to her as if no time has passed, and it looks to her as if this is one long afternoon, but she may have died 300 years ago. You do not want to be that woman. You do not want to even think about it. So be sure, allow your get your loved ones to leave and and do if you are the one leaving do not allow yourself to be distracted by people no matter how upset they are at your death here's another problem don't be addicted to anything at your death it could be alcohol drugs or sex those are the three big ones 
or even something else, if you're addicted to anything, it's very likely that you're going to see this as an opportunity to finally indulge in your cravings. And many people decide not to transition. If they're a, a drunk, they will hang around bar rooms and they will literally possess the bodies of people when, who are sufficiently uh, drunk themselves that they've tattered their aura. Same thing in, a, in an alleyway. But you know what? You, you have no body and you can't experience what, what this, the person who's drunk is experiencing. So it's all for naught. And yet you're stuck there. You're going to have to be rescued. Sex may be the worst. There are actual descriptions of piles of naked people trying to have sex with one another and, of course, unable to do it. <laughs> Again, don't be addicted to anything. Or if you are addicted, just be aware. If, you're, if you don't have a body, it doesn't do you any good to stay behind. Another way many people can get off track is to be killed in battle. They're in the thick of it. They're running across a battlefield and a bullet kills their body. But they keep running. During both the First and Second World Wars, there were mediums who were selected and especially used uh, by those who were trying to rescue all these soldiers who were just – they had no idea they were dead. They thought they were still fighting. And they would – Take they would get their attention and take them to the mediums who would convince them to go with their loved ones who were there waiting for them, but of course the 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 young the young dead soldiers couldn't see them, and that was a lively business for a while and is still to some extent helping the people who have died in battle to know they're dead, and it really doesn't make sense to stay here. You know, go to go with who do you see around you? Uh, your mother? Okay, go with your mother and she'll take you home. Even worse is execution. Don't even consider the possibility that executing criminals makes sense. Here is what happens. If you execute a criminal, you, now this is already a person of very low spiritual development or who, where they wouldn't have done anything that was worthy of execution, but when you execute that person at the height of all his worst emotions or hers, anger, rage, fear, everything, um, you free a very negative entity to roam the earth and cause trouble. This is worse than pouring arsenic into the river, into the drinking water. Never, never support capital punishment. If you keep people in prison until they naturally die, then they can be at least rehabilitated where they're going. But most of them, the people who are executed, apparently become earthbound, sometimes for a long time, and they can cause a great deal of trouble. One problem is just preferring to be here rather than there. This happened to my mother. She was dying. They told me there was no hope she could survive. She was already 86 or something. And that was okay. Go, you know, bomb, go, go, go ahead. She went into a coma when she came out of it. She told me that her parents had been there and she had told them she wasn't ready to leave. They had left. She actually refused her deathbed visitors and she lived for another several years. Um, and finally, they had to take her in her sleep. Apparently, never was she willing to leave, but uh, it was not a good idea because she lost all her activities of daily living. She was literally almost a vegetable and, and uh, very senile. The only person that she still recognized um, was, was my sister who cared for her. Don't do that. <laughs> if you see your deathbed visitors and they tell you that it's time to go, it's so much more fun to be there than here. Just go with them. Of course, with the world steeped in such ignorance that almost a quarter of those who die are going to go off track. Imagine that. It's imperative that everyone on earth become informed about the whole death process. 
And learning the and learning the truth yourself and teaching it to those you love is literally the most important work you can do. You're going to save people so much pain. And actually, avoiding going off track is easy. I'm going to give you four steps that if you will follow these carefully, you will never go off track of death and teach them, and nobody ever will that you know and love. First, raise your personal consciousness vibration. We talk about that fairly often. The higher your, your vibration is, the more loving and less fearful you are, the easier your death process will be. It will be joyous. And, of course, following the teachings of Jesus turns out to be the easiest way to make rapid spiritual progress. My book, The Fun of Growing Forever, summarizes his method. But if you simply literally follow the teachings of Jesus and emphasize forgiveness, which makes loving even much more easily easy and possible, if you do that, you'll, you'll be just fine. The second thing you, that you really should do is learn the truth about death. It's a very specific, narrow process, a natural death is. And when you understand what the steps are, which is what we're talking about today and we'll talk about next week, when you understand how it goes, um, it's easy to die. It's easy to go forward from here So, because it won't be scary. In fact, quite literally – um, what, what we discovered is that when people really get what happens at death and, and learn that it's impossible to die, you lose all your other fears as well. It makes your life so much happier. So learning what happens at death is really important. And then third is I keep saying, ignore the living people around your bed till after you've gone home. You can come back and help them afterwards, but you can't do anything for them until you have completed your, your death transition. Then the fourth thing that's important to do is just trust and follow those deathbed visitors. Trust them. They are not demons. That really is your mom. That really is your, your childhood pet. For me, it's going to be my horse. I, I, whoever else comes for me, uh, my, my guide Thomas has told me that, that, yes, my request to go home on riding my horse has been granted. and I will be able to do that. So it's going to be fun. But make it fun. If there are people you want to have come, ask if they will come. I just just think about this as a natural part of your life and a wonderful part of your life and then trust and follow those deathbed visitors. It'll be a trip a trip quick trip, hard to say, a quick trip and an easy trip if you just relax, trust, love and let it happen. If you and I will work to spread the truth, then the tragedy of people going off track of death will soon be no more than a very distant memory. And that's a good thing because what awaits it is that death is far more wonderful than anything you can possibly imagine. It's playtime. We're going to begin now to talk about our eternal home, but we're going to be talking really more and much more about it next week. First, let's get rid of some old beliefs. Every set of religious beliefs, and this includes atheism, has the afterlife all wrong, every one of them. There is one universal afterlife, it's not religious at all, and everybody goes to the same one. So you can stop worrying about whether you guessed wrong when you were trying to choose between being Catholic and being Baptist. They all go to the same place. That's an old joke, actually. There are two these two closed doors, and St. Peter's showing people around heaven, and uh, people are saying, well, who's, what's behind those closed doors? And St. Peter says, shh, those are the Catholics, those are the Baptists, and each of them thinks the other, are, that they're the only ones here, and nobody else is there. So um, that's not true. That's wonderfully not true. You don't have to abandon any religion at all in your life. 
the best thing to do is follow the teachings of Jesus, but even that is is up to you. Um, they'll they'll bring you back and they'll try to teach you to use whatever you've learned uh, it to improve yourself um, emotionally. It, it it's wonderful. It's universal. And then here's the second thing: every set of relig- religious beliefs, including atheism, has God wrong. God is mind. God is never material. God is all that actually objectively exists, and our minds are all part of that one mind, which is the one eternal God. That that Christian God, fortunately, does not exist. No living person has ever been to the afterlife. If it's, if you're someone is astral traveling or has a near death experience. It, they go to the astral plane, which is much, much, much bigger than anything, uh, than the afterlife, much bigger than, than the universe. Actual death but is always a one-way trip. The dead tell us that consistently. And the afterlife is very, very big. It's nearly limitless. And each of the, of the many different realities is probably the size of this entire universe. And the astral plane is actually, we, be- we believe, about 20 times the size of this whole universe. So... We think that it must be crowded there. So many people have died. Uh Uh-uh. It is much, much less crowded there. The matter in the afterlife is different from the matter in this universe. It doesn't have any particles in it. Um, It doesn't have a cellular structure. And it's somewhat translucent. Think of brightly colored living alabaster. That's pretty much uh, what it's like. Our bodies there are young and beautiful. Most of us prefer to look as we did in our most recent lifetime at the prime of life, but that's of course up to us. Since we recognize one another by our personal energy signatures, it really doesn't matter how we look. People will know who you are. Our sensory abilities are much stronger. Our mind sight is nearly 360 degrees and it's perfect even at vast distances and our hearing is similarly strengthened. We communicate by mind almost exclusively. And that's something we'll talk more about next week. Weather is optional. Night never falls. But you can have weather if you want it, which is kind of fun. And there are infinite gradations, but seven overall levels. We'll talk about them, too. And the Summerland is so Earth-like that some who die in their sleep, like my mother did, have trouble believing they've died. Isn't that a lovely thought? They might wake up in what feels like their very same house from the earth because, of course, the people they love have created it there for them. And they have to bring these people, this has been described to us, bring them to the front door and open it and say, all right, do you see your neighborhood out here? And, of course, there's nothing but beauty there. There's not their neighborhood. And finally they realize, yes, they have died, which is wonderful. The Summerland is also culturally specific. We'll talk about that next week. The buildings, for example, if you were to die in China on a trip and you ended up in their in their um, summerland, you'd find pagodas. If you were to die in India, it would look like India. All you have to do, by the way, if this happens, is just call for, for help and your loved ones will come and they will take you home. The most important thing to know about the afterlife is that love is all there is there. We think in terms of Love is just something that's random or, or temporary, but love there is a brilliant white light that casts no shadow. Love there is the water we drink, although we don't have to drink it. We just walk through it and we get the energy. It's the air we breathe. It's everything. It's nothing but love. And I guess we've come to the end of our time, so we're going to have some wonderful things to talk about next week. We're going to talk there much more specifically just about what it's like after we die. And um, I've Fortunately, this I know even much more of than I did back when I wrote The Fun of Dying, so I will have a lot 
to share with you. And we'll return to our regularly scheduled programming with our new guest um, in two weeks. Of course, as you know, my nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together. And in February of 2020, we now have a pub date. It will be The Fun of Loving Jesus, Embracing the Christianity that Jesus Taught. For very young children, there's the fun of meeting Jesus. And early next year, we'll have the fun of growing with Jesus. Those are beautiful picture books, not religious but they are about the teachings of Jesus and what the dead tell us. And the fun of growing with Jesus includes the death of a pet, uh, which is one thing many people have asked me about for children. You can order all these books through bookstores or on Amazon.com, and the adult books are also available as audiobooks. If you want to contact me, if you want to talk about anything at all or any of my books, Always, you can always contact me through the contact block on robertagrimes.com, and I do answer every email. It can take me a few days, but I get to them all. It's my pleasure and joy to be able to help you. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available on webtalkradio.net, realrevolutionradio.com, iTunes, iHeart, and a number of other stations, including those in the wonderful, beautiful Dream Vision 7 radio family. And there's a Seek Reality app for free in the iTunes store so that you can People tell me all you have to do is have the app and you they, you automatically will get each new podcast. And if you ever wonder where you can hear me right now, just go to robertagrimes.com and click on the radio tab. If you enjoy these weekly conversations, check out my blog on robertagrimes.com. There's a new a blue, new blog entry public, uh, published every week. And what's fun is that many people there, I think, are really growing. I'm enjoying and loving interacting with the people in the comments section. Meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you in particular, you are a powerful, eternal being, and you, most of all, are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.